0: I'd said as we began the series that we would go a little more slowly through the book of 1 uh, Peter, then we often go through a, a passage of Scripture together. And uh, just to prove the point, we're going to come today to the same passage I came to last week in the sermon. Of course, if we did that, we never would finish every week. But uh, this week I wanted to come back to it because there are certain basic things that we are learning here And if you're like me, you learn slowly and you change slowly. It takes a while for these things to sink in. And so maybe there'll be some advantage to the pace that we take up now. Peter has been writing about and introducing the gospel to the people around Asia Minor who are in trouble, who are feeling troubled, who are facing various kinds of trials, as he mentions in verse 6. And so throughout the book, that's sort of a background note of the letter. People who are receiving these things are in undergoing special kinds of difficulties and trials. We don't know what they were. Maybe there was a famine there throughout the region. Perhaps there was some persecution. That's the most commonly attributed reason. Uh, perhaps there were difficulties uh, in terms of just being a small group in a larger culture and not feeling very significant or uh, maybe being opposed in some way. Or perhaps there were internal differences between them. And uh, as we know in many cases in the New Testament, the Jews and the Gentiles struggled to get along within the church. Whatever the reason, they're facing difficulties and Peter is emphasizing that those difficulties in the context of the gospel are to be expected and are relatively slight and small, although they seem to us quite big. So he has been explaining to them what the outline of the gospel is in terms of the Father, Son, and Spirit's work in bringing redemption to them and to us. And he has been saying that they can find in that redemption a new birth a living hope, an inheritance, many wonderful, wonderful assets that are now given to the believer. God's—we are shielded by God's power. Uh, verse five, until the day until the coming of salvation, uh, and even the troubles are for good. They will yield something worth more than gold. They are not just thrown in the way as obstacles, but they are actually vehicles for improvement and growth. Though you have not seen him, verse 8, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the gold of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So in the midst of these trials, really good things are happening. And the troubles that they are facing do not diminish the facts of the resurrection, of their inheritance, of their election, of their being redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Those facts still stand. Nevertheless, this next passage, which we look to in verses 10 through 12, seems to anticipate that there are some difficulties within their own hearts, And, and, and encouragement here we find beginning in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have been, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. That's God's word. Let us pray. Humble us, O Lord, this day before your mighty and majestic word. Lift us up by your power and strength that we might be renewed, that we might be equipped, and that we might be more fit vessels for your service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you have received this great gift of eternal life, and yet you still have troubles. And the question is, what do I do when I still feel discouraged, or when I feel like these troubles are getting the best of me? It's a very common experience. What do I I know that I have these assets and I know that I am loved, but at the same time, I know that I'm facing difficulties. Outward challenges, perhaps inward discouragements. So Peter says, if that's your issue, no better illustration in all of scripture than the prophets. The prophets who were called by God to serve him and to carry a message to their generation. The prophets who were selected because of their godliness and their willingness to go. Who will will go for us, says the Lord. "Uh, Here I am, says me, says Isaiah. The prophets who endured tremendous opposition. Although called by God and equipped with a special message for their generation, they faced and, encur- and encountered time and time again one discouragement after another. Now this is normative for the Christian, but it seems to be like on steroids for the prophets. They really were up against it. They really faced Obstacles. Sometimes they were internal, like Jonah, who didn't want to go. And so he went the other way, actually and physically. Other times it was Jeremiah, who was just completely opposed and ignored throughout the longest book of the Old Testament. Nobody cared. Nobody responded. Nobody was interested. His heart was breaking. He was delivering the very word of God. And they opposed him, persecuted him. And he was rejected all day long. And yet, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, their response was this. I will, I've been called by God to do this. I've been giving a, given a living hope, as, if you will, a, and, a, and a ministry. And I'm facing nothing but Opposition. What is my response to be? Well, I'm somewhat discouraged. But secondly, look what they did. They searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Notice they had the Holy Spirit too. And the Spirit was working within them when he, predi- when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow their response was to go back to the basics. It wasn't to learn more or gain greater insight, but it was to begin all over again. And in the same way, regarding the troubles that we bring on ourselves or the troubles that are visited upon us, it is great to begin again. Now we'd like you to turn to the cover of the bulletin, to a quote which I think I found very helpful. This is the pastor, PCA minister, not in good health. If you want to add someone to your prayer list, pray for Dick Kaufman. He's in the San Diego area. He, when Al Katz was in the, there, stationed there in the Navy, he became good friends with, with former elder here, Al Katz. He's a, a man who has been very influential under the radar. And this is one of his statements that's I think helpful at this point. Many Christians think that we are saved by the gospel, but when we grow, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. Right? I mean, that's a lot of what we've done. But we are not just saved by the gospel. We grow by applying the gospel to every area of life. So they are looking for more insight, but they are beginning, They are doing it by reapplying the truth of the Scriptures to them as they are looking for the Messiah. The prophets have been sent, and, and they are going to carry this message. They're not going to be denied save death. But at the same time, they are looking for their own benefit, and even the angels as well. So how do I face these trials and experience the, God, the Spirit's help? We must learn how to look into the gospel. You have to understand what it's all about. It's possible to read the Bible many years and still miss the key teachings of the scriptures. We know who Jesus was. We know who David was. But we miss the beauty of the gospel because it is not just wise sayings or virtuous teachings, but it is the announcement of an important event, a report. It is not just about ethics and how to live. It is about the appreciation and the embracing of one single event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the fact. And so at its base and foundation, the gospel is not about how we act and live. And so the prophets could look to their results and they could be very discouraged. Nobody cares. Nobody's listening. Nobody changes. But they turned that problem into another search for the time and the circumstances in which the Spirit of Christ was pointing to and the predicted sufferings and glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not just serving themselves, but you, that is us, The people of Peter's day, the people of us, the prophets began to see themselves as they looked into the scriptures as part of a larger and greater mission. Not just to their own generation, but to themselves and to those who would come after them. So they preserved the truth through a difficult time. They understood that it wasn't about the results and that they, didn't just, they weren't just there to improve the general culture and behavior of the Israelites. You have to understand the gospel. It's not just about virtue, and it's not just a body of information either. We think we know, but why do we live as we do? The Israelites, the people of Judah, they knew the Ten Commandments. They knew the law of God. They had been schooled in it, but they had no interest whatsoever in following and obeying. Why do troubles overthrow us? Why do we take our identity from what other people think of us? Because we don't fasten ourselves to the gospel. It brings a kaleidoscope of insights, but we have to look into it. So the angels long to look into these things, top of page 9. They yearn, they desire, they 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 are seeking these things. They want them for themselves. You would think they would know. They are in heaven itself. They can see Jesus. They can see the Lord himself. And yet, their appetite is to begin again. To see again the beauty of what Jesus did for us. This is in the present tense. The angels are obsessed with the gospel and are continually looking into it. So should we, or we will not be able to handle our troubles. So let's use an illustration. We have an issue with anger. How do we handle it? By looking in again to the cross. We should not simply say, Lord, I have a problem with anger. Let's please remove it by your power and give me the power to forgive. That's a good prayer, but it's not the full application of the gospel. So we shouldn't just say, Lord, I have a problem with anger. Please remove it by your power and give me the power to forgive. Rather, we should apply the gospel to ourselves at that point. The Bible tells us, that uncontrolled anger is a result of not living in line with the gospel. The reason we're angry is not because of some incident that's just happened, but there's something deeper going on. It means that though we begin with Jesus Christ as our Savior, something else has become our functional Savior in place of him. Instead of believing that Christ is our hope and our goodness, we are looking to something else as a hope and a goodness, to some other way to help us to feel good and complete. So the likelihood is, when you lose your ang- your temper, it's because something really important to you has been threatened. And that thing that's really important to you may not be Jesus. may not be the Lord himself. It may be your opinion of yourself. It may be your pleasure. It may be any number of things that have crept in. So instead of just hoping that God will remove our anger or simply exercising willpower against it, we should ask the very important question. If I'm angry and unforgiving what is it that I think I need so much what is being withheld that I think that I must have and if I'm to be complete and to be a person of worth yesterday I lost my temper with my daughter she made me angry I've been trying to analyze why I think I know it wasn't her. It was me. It touched something in me that was my functional savior. And I lashed out at her. I responded with anger. It took us a while to get over it. But it wasn't really what she did because she really didn't do anything. Something touched my functional savior. I felt threatened. I didn't like it. And so, yesterday evening, I have to apply to myself again the gospel. It might be that you want comfort above all things, and someone has made our lives harder, and so you're mad about it. Or it might be that you're worshiping other people's approval, and so you get angry with anyone who, in some way, thwarts our bid for popularity and respect. The answer is not simply to try harder to directly control your anger. It is found in the repenting of the self righteousness and lack of rejoicing in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is at the root of my anger. Not just trying to try harder to control it. We all know how that works. Not very well. The longer we sit in church, the more we wonder why do I still have these issues? The answer is because I need to begin again and allow the gospel to wash over me and to look into my heart and say, Why are these things so important to me and not Christ? So the answer is not simply to try harder to directly control my anger. It is found in repenting of self-righteousness and a lack of rejoicing in the finished work of Christ That it is that is at the root of it. As we make our hearts look at Christ crucified, the Spirit will work in us to replace that functional Savior with the true Savior. And the root of our anger will wither. It will be dealt with. Not because I attended a seminar on how to deal with anger, but because, as we just sang, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, over and over and over again, the hymns call us and the scriptures call us to the cross. Not to a seminar on anger or to a book on bitterness and unforgiveness, although those things can be of some modest assistance. The central, foundational, rooted problem is the gospel. And my willingness to submit and repent again to his superiority in my life because of that one event and his gracious, merciful application to it. So you have to understand the gospel and the gospel is not about self-improvement. That happens, but that's not at the heart of it. At the go- the heart of the gospel is repentance. The heart of the gospel is saying, "I'm sorry. I need to begin again." Now, I don't know how many times I'm going to lose my temper with my daughter. I don't think I'm finished. But it, and let me say again, she didn't do anything. I lost my temper not because she inappropriately acted. I lost my temper because of the context of our relationship and the contours of my own heart. And so, in preparation for the sermon, what a great what a great opportunity. He gives me too many of those. So you have to understand the gospel. It's not just about self-improvement. It's about beginning again and beginning again and beginning again. And the prophets, under great duress and great pressure, began again. They, they started over. They began to look intently again into the Bible and into the meaning of what they were being called to do in the context of the greatest event of all, the coming of Jesus Christ. And, of course, you have to read the Bible. You have, the place you find the gospel is with the, is with the prophets and the apostles. The things that the prophets and the apostles wrote are the words of the Spirit of God. The same Spirit is concerned with both Testaments. This was Jesus' view. Sometime we'll look in one of our series at, at how heavily and surpassingly Jesus relied upon the Bible. Now, if you think about it, you'd say, well, he knew the Bible. He was the author of it. So it shouldn't have been so important to him to constantly be turning to it. But it's clear by his own expressions and what we have recorded that he was constantly turning his heart back to the Scriptures. From the cross, he quotes it. At the beginning of his ministry, he he opens the book of Isaiah and preaches from it. He sees himself within the total context of the Old Testament prophecy, and he relies upon the, the Bible. If he needed it, so should we. I'm sure you've read it, or most of it. I'm sure you're familiar with its main themes and teachings. But do you cling to it? Do you count on it? Is it your food and sustenance? Is it the the one true pole star of your life that you can count on when your emotions are swirling and when your mind is confused? You can turn to the Scriptures. Jesus did. Either it has authority over your thinking, and you let your or or you let your reason be your your guide. Now, I thought I had reason to be angry with my daughter. But the more I thought about it, grace and mercy was really what I needed and what I needed to show to her. If you want to be a consistent Christian, you have to accept the authority of the Bible. Too many times I listen to what I think too many times I am guided by what I hear my own head say and not what the Bible says. You must trust the Bible as a letter from God to you about the gospel. We too, like the shepherds and the I mean the, the prophets and the angels, need to look into these things. And what will we find? Jesus keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. It is common for believers to begin their Christian lives by looking beyond themselves to Christ the crucified. That's how we come to Christ. We begin to see for the first time that he really did die on the cross for our sins, that he really did at great expense give himself and suffer and bleed and die there at Calvary. And we begin to rely on God's promise that Jesus has taken our curse and given us his blessing. But as we go on in the Christian life... It is tempting and easy to look within ourselves at our own human efforts and say, I'm not doing very well. Surely the prophets had this problem. Because on the one hand, they have the word of God and they are faithfully proclaiming it, but they're not doing very well. And they're wondering, what am I doing wrong? Jonah knew. Jeremiah and Isaiah wrestle with that question. Resting on our own performance gives us a sense of acceptability before God, but doing this makes us radically insecure because it cuts away our assurance and prompts us to despair or pride. We are, trying, we are to drag our eyes away from ourselves and back to Calvary. Whatever the reason God commands his people how to live, it cannot be in order to gain acceptance from him. We already have that. And so we follow him. And what is the Bible about? Jesus. And what he did for us. And how his sufferings, as it says in verse 11, led to the glories that would follow. One of the things we've said as a theme of Peter's writing is that there is a connection between suffering and glory, that there will be a positive outcome to our service, and the difficulties that we experience will have a wonderful outcome, as they did for Jesus. But forgetting what he did for us at the cross tends to dampen our affection for him and decrease it. So the gospel in final application is not about winning over worry. That's the result of good news. Whatever the reason God commands his people how to live, it cannot be in order to gain acceptance from him. He doesn't want us to be good so that he'll be pleased with us like a parent. He wants us to be good because we love him. And we're grateful for what he's done for us. The gospel is not about improving your life so much. It is about him. Improvement will come only if you see this. If my losing my anger with my daughter leads me only to work on the anger problem, I don't think I'll get very far. But if it leads me to the cross, if it leads me to repentance, if it leads me to asking again, by God's grace, that He might sustain me, Then I have great prospects. You remember Luke 24. After the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, these men are walking, and they're discouraged. They've been through a lot. There's been the resurrection, but they haven't seen it. There's been the crucifixion, and they see the effects of that. And all the city is talking about it, and they said, We thought that he would redeem us, but instead he died. Jesus rebukes them for looking for results and missing the real reason why he came. Don't you see? They wanted a functional Savior to save them, to lift their hearts and their spirits when they already had the one thing they didn't have before that they needed, the resurrection and the suffering at Calvary. We had hope, they said, We had hoped when he had already fulfilled their hopes and their dreams. Have you learned to read the Bible through the sufferings and glory of Christ? That's the question with which I conclude. Have you learned to read the Bible through the sufferings and glory of Christ? That's what the prophets did. They looked at their lives and the context of their message in the light of the cross and what was to come. And they they saw themselves as even preaching to us today. And indeed they did. For we have their words and we have their example. Terrific Old Testament richness. Is it all about Jesus? Yes, it is. He's on every page. And so if we look to our circumstances, we will be discouraged. And if we look at the progress we've made in the gospel, we might be cast down. But when we look at the cross, and when we see how he has given himself fully and freely to us, now and always, then we are uplifted. So our hope is not in self-improvement. It's in the kaleidoscope of insights that come by returning again and again and looking into these things, anew and afresh. Jesus is. Keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Let us pray. Lord, help me not to be unduly angry with Katrina or anyone else. Help me in my own personal wrestlings with these things. Not just to read a book on anger or forgiveness or to hear a put together a sermon on it or to do a Bible study of it only but also to take it to you and to the cross enable us to do that we pray with our difficulties and our weaknesses to repent of them and to begin again with you and to have you transform us as a result you are a mighty God and a gracious one And oh, so very patient. And we thank you in his name. Amen.